Scholars call it the monomyth, although most of us know it as the hero's journey. The ancient storytelling structure about a nobody from nowhere who answers the call to adventure, befriends a wise elder, faces down impossible obstacles, and emerges not just victorious, but as a champion for others. We've seen these parables filled other narrative stories, such as Harry Potter, The Lord of the Rings, but nowhere is it used more than in Star Wars. Welcome to Han Talk's first podcast. I'm your host, Hans. I'm Hans Zimmer, and today we're going to talk about Star Wars. Nah, I'm just kidding. It's Han, and this is the podcast you're looking for. And welcome to episode 27. Hop in the Millennium Falcon with me, and let's fly away to another star system where we can talk about the movie that changed our lives. A new must say that was probably my most over the top intro I've had so far but it's because we're about to review my favorite movie of the Skywalker saga <laughs> so I apologize for that but welcome we are 4 weeks in to our road to the rise of Skywalker marathon where we watch one episode of the Skywalker movie saga every week and break it down here on the podcast. If you're just now joining us for the first time, we will be talking about A New Hope today. So if you want to catch up and go back and listen to the other one, go back after this episode and listen to the other installments where we did Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, um, leaving out Rogue One and Solo, just focusing on the Skywalker story here. So I hope you're all having a good Monday. It's a new week. Make today your bitch. And uh, I know I will. On my way to the studio today, I was actually riding my Tauntaun, and when uh, we got halfway, he started to throw up, and I realized, oh, my Tauntaun's sick. But don't worry, I took him to the hospital. <sighs> anyway, you're not here to listen to me talk about my day. You want to hear about Guerra de las Galaxias. That's a little tip of my hat to my Spanish listeners out there. Um, for those of you who don't know, that just basically means Star Wars. Or War of the Galaxies, literally speaking. Uh, but muchas gracias por escuchar. Te quiero mucho con todo mi corazón y tengas un buen día. Y muchas gracias por your support. <laughs> uh, Spanglish, that's the best I can do. Sorry, any of you want to give me the word for support in Spanish? Please come and let me know. So, so yeah, we are on the uh, fourth episode, A New Hope. We are going to review that today. It's my favorite one, so it might, might go a little long. I'm going to try and keep it short because I definitely have a lot to say about this one. So, like with every other review I've done so far, let's talk about my initial reactions upon viewing, which um, I got a lot to say. So... First of all, if we're not introduced to our main character until 15 minutes into this movie, 15, 16, 17, somewhere around there, but 15 minutes into the movie, and our 
main character, when we first are introduced to him, has no role in the film. You know, at the beginning, we're introduced to the rebellion and the empire in the opening crawl, and then we see both of the sides fighting on the um, the ship. Uh, so we see we introduced to the good and the evil, and. Uh, first, the first characters we're introduced to actually are the two robots, C-3PO and R2-D2. And they seem to be caught in the middle of this battle between the good and the evil, rebel and empire. And then we follow them through space, and then we they, we follow them through the desert, and then we they randomly get put in, they get captured by the uh, Jawas, and then they get sold off to these people who live in a hole in the ground. And then, then we're introduced to our main character, Luke Skywalker. And I just want to talk about how, how, how the fuck did this movie, uh, like, make it past the pitch meeting? Like, when the studios were, like, reading the script and everything on this movie. Like, how, if, I mean, today that would not fly. Like, you cannot introduce a movie and not have the main character show up 15 to 20 minutes after it's already started. That's crazy. But that just goes to show you how different and how captivating and immersive this movie was when it came out. And today. It still holds up, in my opinion. It's just interesting that, you know, at the time, that that never happened. Your first scenes of the movie pretty much always introduce our main character, right? Or an opening scene does not last for 15 minutes. And I could just imagine what it was like to be in the theater once this movie came out and be like, wow, this movie's going to be about robots. Interesting. Because that's what I would think if I was sitting there. Okay, well, our main character is this gold robot and this white and blue one that can't even speak. And I don't know. I just find that interesting that that's how we start off the movie. And it just starts on a space. It starts out in space. And then it, and then we go into... Uh, an escape pod, and then we land on a desert planet, and then we, from there we see these aliens, and then from there we see these people living on the desert planet, and they, <laughs> they harvest moisture. <laughs> They're moisture farmers. I'm going to talk about that later. But anyway, that's, it blows my mind that how this movie started. Um, some other initial reactions was just how much this movie captures my attention and how when I watch it time just seems to fly by I don't know if that's the same for you but A New Hope is really the only one and mm, a little bit of The Force Awakens but A New Hope is like the main one that really captures all my attention and undivided attention and I'm just completely sucked into this movie it's so good and I think a lot of that has to do with the hero's journey telling of it all what i mentioned up top and i'm going to really dive into that later into like the actual review portion of this um but it's just such a it's so so such a good story and it's so witty and smart and funny and um mysterious all at the same time uh and something interesting about the making of this movie you know when george lucas had the idea did you know that george lucas was Actually, after he did American Graffiti, he was pretty much offered whatever he wanted to make that was already in production. Script was finished, whatever. He he had first call, first dibs to whatever he wanted. And his mentor, Francis Ford Coppola, actually offered him the opportunity to direct 
Apocalypse Now. But he turned it down because he wanted to make original content, his own original content. And that's when Francis went on to direct it himself. And we know that was one hectic hell of a movie production. But could you imagine what Apocalypse Now would have looked like if George Lucas had directed it? He was he was supposed to direct it. That was his going to be his movie. And Francis would have produced it. Um, it, would, it would have been a completely different movie. But and what if what if he did take it? We all know that. I mean, if you don't know, the production on uh, Apocalypse Now was one of the most miserable of movie productions. No, nothing seemed to go right. The director uh, was suicidal at multiple points of the film the the money was being lost he had to put it in his own money the actors were difficult the uh, country they were shooting in was difficult because they actually shot it in Vietnam there was just so many problems with this movie and it really didn't seem like it was ever going to make its debut and of course it would have taken the life of one of the greatest filmmakers of all time but <clears throat> could you imagine if George went on to do that if he went through all of that himself he would probably have just been done with filmmaking after that. And we may have never gotten Star Wars. So got to idolize George for sticking to his own and wanting to create original storytelling, which he still does today. And I really admire him for that. But when he went on to make this movie, he still had the troubles similar to what Francis Ford Coppola had. You know, George Lucas is not a... a uh, social butterfly and he's he, at the time he didn't people say he didn't really have much of a personality he was very quiet and reserved and he didn't know how to give direction but and it, his writing was bad like everyone had something to say about him <clears throat> and a lot of the people on the set they shot in London and a lot of the crew were people from there and he would constantly get made fun of behind his back and he overheard stories and he everyone would make fun of like the robots and the aliens and they, everyone said how stupid it was like the people working on the actual movie they all thought it was a dumb idea and they're like man this movie's not gonna go anywhere like <clears throat> we're wasting our time with this we're barely being paid and everything i mean it was bad enough that he had that no one wanted to fund this movie. He went to every studio, and they all said no until one of the guys at Fox was like, I'm going to give him a shot because he made um, that 11-something movie, the, the the clone movie, and then he made American Graffiti, and he's like, the next big thing, I'm going to give him a shot. But the studio only gave him a million dollars for production. That's a million-dollar budget for Star Wars, which at the time... It was a lot of money, but as far as making a movie of this scale, it was not a lot of money. So right from the beginning of getting funding, it was he was like in in a in a pickle. And then he got the set, no one believed in him there. And then the movie got finished production and after they shot all of the principal photography <clears throat> in London, when he came back to San Francisco, his his team there the special effects people, the props people, creatures, and um, the uh, the ship builders and everything were supposed to have already begun and 
close to finishing wrapping on the special effects and all of the uh, ship uh, shots of the ships and the explosions and stuff like that. And when he got back, he realized they didn't do anything. And they they kind of gave up because they didn't they didn't know what they were doing. None of this crap had been shot or done before, and they didn't really know what the hell to do, and George couldn't be there to tell them what to do. And that stressed him out. So he got criticized over the pond, and then he comes back, and he realized it's been months, and these people haven't done a single thing on this movie. There was no none of the space wars, none of the... Uh, the special effects were done on this film. Nothing had been worked on, except for the crafting of it. Everything had been made, but nothing had been shot. And so he was already stressed out from there. And it's not like he can go ask for more money because the studios didn't believe in this movie. So he had to go in and personally walk everybody through what to do, how to shoot it. And then they finally got it made. And so that proves, like... He was the pioneer. Like this was his his movement, and he was a good director. He got everyone to get their shit together and start making this movie like they were supposed to. And then there was a problem with the editing, and it wasn't slated properly, and everything was kind of mumbled together, and there wasn't like it wasn't making sense. And then his wife at the time, uh, Martha Lucas, kind of over took over the editing process and made her own cut. And that's what eventually became the cut we saw, we see today. And she helped fix the story and put the pieces in the correct order. So it would make sense. And then they had screen tests and all the execs and uh, the people who were like funding the movie said like, this, this is stupid. Like no one's going to want to watch this. This is the dumbest thing we've ever seen. Yet they had to put it out anyway because they needed to try and make some kind of <clears throat> return on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so they put it out with a very, very, very limited release. And it started at the Chinese theater. And once people started seeing it, it created this... Uh, well, first of all, when the trailers came out, there was people that were saying, like, they would boo it in the movies. Uh, Mark Hamill talks about this. When uh, the trailer was premiering, him and Carrie Fisher walked into movie theaters to see people's reactions to the trailer. And they would boo at the screen. And Mark Hamill talks about this one guy who yelled out, like it would say on screen, coming soon to a theater near you. And then this guy in the crowd yelled out, yeah, and then straight to uh, TV or something like that, which at the time meant like the movie was a failure. And... So they were nervous that the movie wasn't going to be good. But then the movie came out, proved everybody wrong, and made a shitload of money. And George Lucas uh, uh, made his fortune from that. Because since no one believed in the movie, it all belonged to him and his uh, royalty and his rights. And it just... uh, It was... It's a shock that this movie was made, honestly. Uh, With all the people that were discouraging towards him and didn't believe in him. And George Lucas himself is kind of like Luke Skywalker in this movie. You know, everyone tells Luke in this movie, there's nothing you could do. There's nothing you could have done. Um, Know your place, like everything like that. And I think that's... I think this movie is almost a autobiography about George Lucas. And... That's another reason why I love this movie. 
and you got to give George Lucas credit. You can hate him all you want to and say that his prequels are dumb, but he is a man that sticks to his vision and doesn't let anyone else put him down. And I admire the hell out of that. And I want to try and be like that myself. So that's about the making of this movie. Highly recommend checking out the book, George Lucas, A Life. And it's so incredible to hear his journey up to this movie and beyond. He's a very smart, educated man, and he cares about the audience. And uh, he's my hero. He's my idol. One day I'm going to meet him, and um, I'm going to try and get a quote from him for my podcast. That would be pretty sick, wouldn't it? Okay, so let's talk about some more initial reactions that I... uh, found while watching this movie and I wrote them down so I could remember to talk about them later. Well, first of all, I must say that when I started the movie about three, four minutes in, I was almost about to cry. Not because I love this movie so much, but because the copy, the Blu-ray copy I have of A New Hope is busted. The first like 15 minutes of it are it's all like pixelated and it's skipping and it made me so sad. And it, it's honestly probably because it's probably like this from being played so many times because there's nothing wrong with my Xbox. It's just, oh, it's so bad. And then another part where it skipped and started becoming pixelated was the Darth Vader Obi-Wan Kenobi fight. Like, that's another amazing moment. And uh, it was just so sad. So now I'm going to have to go out and repurchase <laughs> a new hope and um which actually i was gonna do anyway because i have a feeling that once the rise of skywalker comes out they're going to release a a box of all the skywalker saga and i'm 100 percent sure it's gonna like be filled with a bunch of trinkets and stuff like that and i'm i'll just buy that and you know what it'll probably be like 200 dollars, but It'll be worth it. <laughs> and I, I, well, I might have to rebuy it anyway because I started the, um, what is it called? The, the silver box, the, the, the titanium steel collection or whatever. I have each one of those. And so maybe I'll do that so I can keep them all in order. But anyway, uh, one thing that I love about when we first are introduced to Owen Lars is <laughs> when um, he meets the uh, he meets C-3PO and he's just like, I need a droid that understands the binary language of bocce. And it just reminds me of this meme I saw, like a Valentine's Day meme where it was like Owen is talking to C-3PO. He's like, I need a droid that can speak the binary language of love. And <laughs> it just makes, every time that scene plays, that's all I think of it. It's so fucking funny. And, um, but yeah, and then Luke comes in, he's like, but I was going to the Tashi station to pick up some power converters. And he's like, you can play with your friends later. Uh, and that's when we're first, that's, that's, that's when we're first introduced to Luke is when we just see a lot, a whiny little brat. <laughs> I would just love to see this for the first time. Like <clears throat> I've seen it for the first time as a kid, no, but I would love to have seen it for the first time as like an adult and see like what my reaction is like, is like. Because you're probably not under the impression that this is our main character, you know? 
And so you see this whiny brat, and then you come to realize, wait, 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 wait. this is our uh, main character? Um, that whiny little mofo? Um, anyway, <clears throat> another thing I realized when watching this movie is his, his aunt and uncle call out his name a lot, and it, it must be so annoying for Luke. They're like the the parents that keep calling your name every time you start your video game, and then you go see what they want, and you come back, and right when you push start, they call your name again. Luke! 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 I mean, <clears throat> Amperu needs to calm down. So does Uncle Owen. I mean, it's a desert. There's not that much moisture to farm. Okay? Anyway, <clears throat> another really important thing that I love about this movie is when he first talks about Obi-Wan to his aunt and uncle, and he says it belo- he says he belongs to some old master called Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru's reaction are just brilliant. I mean, if you think about the time that this movie was shot, they didn't have 1, 2, and 3 to go off of. So, But there's there's a story there, and I think their reaction is... It's almost like they, they'd seen or actually been in the movies that had led up to this. And I think a lot of that has to do with the direction and the writing, which people criticize. But <clears throat> George Lucas would have had to tell them, like, hey, uh, his father was a bad man, and you don't want him to be like that. He doesn't know his father. Like, they had to have known the history, and their reaction is perfect, especially when you watch Revenge of the Sith into A New Hope back-to-back. Um just something I wanted to point out. It, it, like I said in my last episode, what, going from Revenge of the Sith, it really makes you want to watch A New Hope, and they complement each other so well. That's what I love about this movie, too. So it leads me to believe, I wonder if I would have loved, loved this movie as much if there was no Episode 3 leading into it. Something interesting to think about. Also, the Han shot first part, which is where... <clears throat> I get my podcast name, if you were wondering. Honestly, if you were wondering where the podcast name come from, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you didn't know where it came from, it's okay. But basically, Han shot first in the original cut of this movie, and then when they came around and did the re-release, they had it so that Han didn't shoot first, and he was shooting in self-defense. And that, a lot of people were, like, bitchy about that. And, um, yeah. So... After that, uh, the Jabba scene. I think uh, the Jabba scene, you know, it wasn't supposed to be in this movie. Um, but they cut it out in the original edit, and now they have it back in the special editions. And, you know, it doesn't fit for several reasons. One, because it wasn't in the actual film, and the CGI of it looks terrible. But also, it doesn't make sense with it. Even if they had come back and replaced it in there with the best special effects of CGI in the world, and it fit perfectly... It still wouldn't fit in this movie because when Han Solo walks away into the Millennium Falcon, he turns to Jabba the Hutt and he says, Jabba, you're a wonderful human being. Now, in the original, the stand-in for the big slug was actually a person, and that was going to be the original Jabba the Hutt. And it wasn't until Return of the Jedi they decided to make him a slug because he was never in the movie. So when he tells him you're a wonderful human being, he's, he's, he's a human being, but in... In the actual movie, he's a slug, so it doesn't make any sense for Han to call him a human being. So that scene should be gone. I don't care what you say. It doesn't need to be there, and it's 
It, it also complements the character of Jabba more because it sets up something to lead into in the last film anyway. Uh, anyway, um, another thing I noticed right away was uh, something I never really thought about before, but what is Princess Leia's accent in this movie? <laughs> it's like she's trying to be British, but then it comes out Australian at some point. It changes throughout the, the whole movie. <laughs> and then when she's captured, I mean, when she's rescued by Han and Luke, it turns back to being American, and, and then it switches back towards the end of the movie again. It, it's all over the place. I'm just so curious what she was trying to do or what she was told to do. But <laughs> go back and, and listen to it. Grand Moff Tarkin, I was wondering when you were going to show your ass in my face because and it just doesn't fit and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but gotta love her for it because she's still amazing. Uh, another thing I noticed was, uh, you know how they dubbed Darth Vader, right? With James Earl Jones. and <laughs> But a lot of it doesn't match his movements in the show. There was one in particular when... He's talking to Grand Moff Tarkin, and he's just like, I knew she couldn't be trusted. And then there's like a movement of his hand, like he's holding out his hand, but there's no words coming out, and it <laughs> just looks like he's overacting. And it's so funny. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about one of the quotes that stood out to me as well. Uh, Obi-Wan, when he's just like, I'm going to go turn off the the tractor beam. And... Uh, you guys will stay stay here and wait for me to come back. And Han Solo's just like, uh, I knew you were going to say that, you foolish old man, or something like that. And then uh, a really good line from Obi-Wan is he's just like, who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? And it just shows, like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi was really sassy in Revenge of the Sith, but he has a lot of sassy lines in this movie, too, if you think about it. And... It's also very clever, witty lines as well. He's just, uh, he's such a cool character, and he's always so calm and collected, and he doesn't let anything ever get to him, which is really cool. Um, and then it comes to my favorite line in the whole movie, which is um, when Han, uh, they get into, like, the prison chamber, and they shoot all the guards, and then someone comes in on the intercom, and they said, hey, what's going on down there? And Han's just like, uh, everything's fine down here. We had a, a small gas leak, but we're fine now. Everything's fine. How are you? And the guy's just like, what? What is your uh, registration number? And then he, <laughs> rather than, like, turning off the machine, he shoots it with his blaster, and he's just like, boring conversation anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite line of A New Hope and my favorite, like, skit because it's just so, it's so, it's, it's so, uh, what's the word? It's just so uh, extra and it's, it's such a funny moment and it's, I don't know, it's, it's my favorite. <laughs> anyway, and then we get uh, another good line that I love is by Princess Leia and when she shoots the, the garbage shoot entrance and she's just like into the garbage shoot fly boy and again more great lines that are just so extra and witty and i just love princess leia for that another one by her is when she's just like can someone get this moving carpet out of my way <laughs> i actually really laughed out loud when i heard it this time because i forgot it was coming and then i hear it and i'm just like you know what he's a walking carpet he is i'd put him on my floor actually i'm moving soon and I would love to get... They should make a Chewbacca rug. Like, you know how you have bear rugs? They should totally make a Chewbacca rug. I would totally put that in my bedroom. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about in my initial reactions, which I, I just... Uh, 
kind of touched on, but Luke is constantly told that there's nothing he can do throughout this whole movie. He's told by Princess Leia, he's told by Han, and he's told by Obi-Wan Kenobi. And in some other form of that, he's also told by Uncle Owen. And I think that is one of the important uh, details when it comes to his character because he's coming from a place where he knows he can do something, but he's constantly told he can't do anything and that there's nothing he can do. It's not his place to do that. And it's not until the Empire Strikes Back when he comes in, he's just like, you know what, I can do something. And he tells, like, because Yoda tells him, there's nothing you can do, don't save your friends. But then he goes and he does it. And, but then he realizes that's not his place, and you have to find your place. Uh, but we'll talk about that once we get to Empire Strikes Back. Today is all about A New Hope. So let's jump into the review portion and keep in mind of who Luke is, which is a, an ordinary man in an ordinary world. You know, this is all about the hero's journey. That's what this movie is. It is the it's like a <laughs> it's a it's a literary literary class for a hero's journey. And I don't know why they don't use it as an example in like in schools and stuff. Like this is a perfect example and it's um more relatable than to or more relevant than the Joseph Campbell thing. Like, it's more, far more interesting. It's a great story and all, but, you know, a lot of kids don't want to read poems and have to break down every stanza to figure out what the hell's going on at that age, you know? I'm not shitting on <laughs> Odyssey or the Iliad or anything. They're great, but um, this is about having something that like sparks interest in children and that's what these movies are they're for kids and so anyway luke's an ordinary man in an ordinary world he lives with his aunt and uncle in poverty on a desert planet and he's meant for so much more than being a farmer aunt bruce says it herself because he possesses skills of piloting robot handling and this unknown power that remains idle inside of him the force and kind of tells you that you know any anyone can use the force you don't have to be a a destined jedi a, a jedi is anyone who uses the force and then uh sith is, or is anyone who uses the force for evil or uh selfish need so this is the beginning of his journey is he's just he's a nobody from nowhere Sound familiar? Sounds like Ray from Jakku, which essentially is a new hope. <laughs> so, and then after we're introduced to him, we get his call to adventure, and that's when this droid from another world arrives on his planet with some special mission to find this Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, oh, R2 kind of acts as this, the Herald, some mystical being, but in this story, he's a droid. And he's the one with a, a message, or a mission in this case, for the hero. Now, it's not intended for him, it's intended for Obi-Wan Kenobi, but right away, he's put into this situation by coincidence. And 
so this is when he gets his refusal of the call in the hero's journey tale because he's he would love to help him find his old master obi-wan but it's his uncle that says no you have to stay here so the the refuse of this mission is actually coming from his uncle not even himself which just again shows that luke is being told he can't do anything and he can't even make his own choices he's being told what to do through other people and this is another reason why i relate strongly with this movie and why i loved it so much as a kid because that's how all kids feel when their parents tell them they can't do anything or they can't go outside and play or they have to do their chores before they do something. And like everybody, it it puts you down and you don't understand at that age, like what, how, like your actual place in the world or that you have to do certain like responsibilities so you can enjoy the good things. But that's the most relatable part of Luke is that he's, he's he's just a regular guy and he just wants so much more of himself. So his uncle forbids him to seek out this Obi-Wan because he knows what it means. He knows the history. He's been there. And that goes back to my, like, they're acting from the characters who, the actors who played these characters, uncle and aunt, um, just how well that was uh, told through their, through their, through their actions and their, their um, reactions to Luke telling them about Obi-Wan. So then R2 runs away. And it causes him to go after him. And so even though the call is refused, he's still forced to come into a collision with Obi-Wan through coincidence. And this just is an example that there's no escaping your destiny. No matter who you are or what you do in your life, you're destined to become something. And there's nothing you can do to escape that destiny. You know, even if you really want it, if you really want to be a musician, for example, and you can't find your, your, your pocket to be in or you can't find the success you want, it just has to come at the right time. And, or even if you didn't want to be a musician, but you play an instrument and you become this successful artist, um, it's, it's your destiny, even if you didn't want it. In this case, that's what it was for Luke. He wanted to be something else, but he didn't know what. And now it's to run into Obi-Wan and be- later on to become a Jedi, but he meets Obi-Wan and this becomes his mentor in the force. And he realizes the old Ben he knew was the infamous Obi-Wan and it, it discovers that it was that Obi-Wan was his friend the whole time, R2's. And Luke needs to help him because Obi-Wan is too old at this point. And I do agree with some people that I don't understand why Obi-Wan doesn't remember R2. It would have been really cool if he did, but uh, it was the 70s. They didn't know about 2005's Revenge of the Sith yet, so got to let that one go. <clears throat> now, at this point, he says no, another refusal to this call of adventure. And this time it comes from him because he knows that his uncle and aunt will be pissed. So he cares about them. It shows that he cares. And when he goes back home, he discovers that they are dead. They were killed by the stormtroopers who were looking for the two droids. So, and then we get that beautiful shot of him looking up at the twin son. Oh, no, that was before. That was before all this. That was when he, he, they first got the droids. But uh, that is one of the best shots in this movie. It's the most iconic. And 
it just shows you don't need a whole bunch of this movie didn't need a whole bunch of special effects and um robots and aliens or whatever to be as magical as it is because it's it's a really simple story and the visual imagery of just the setting suns is enough to understand the power of what it's trying to tell which is you can do whatever you want to do and you can be whatever you want to be that's what this movie is so realizes they're killed and there's nothing that can hold him back anymore so now he can make his own choices and he chooses to do the most daring thing and go with Obi-Wan off this planet and find uh, Alderaan and help join the rebellion now this also slows his progress because he wanted to become he wanted to go to the academy to become a part of the piloting officers and then be a part of the rebellion so the fact that he's going his own his own route is it shows his progression will take a little less time uh which makes sense over the next two movies after this so then after that we come into a bunch of different tests and tribulations and obstacles that come in the way and uh it's also the part of the story where we figure out who is Luke Skywalker's friends and who are his enemies and one friend would be Han Solo and they are joined together and he helps him navigate to where Alderaan would be and then we're also introduced to the enemies which is the um, Empire, the Stormtroopers um, and Darth Vader which evidently we will become familiar with but not at this point and it all takes place at Moss Eisley Moss Eisley is like the threshold of the story where he steps through into this other world because they take the Millennium Falcon and they fly away into the space place. So, after this is a brief respite which helps the audience understand the magnitude of the ordeal that awaits our hero. And it escalates the tension and anticipation of this ultimate journey because we go to where we thought was our destination, Alderaan, but we realize it's not there, and then we're sucked into this Death Star, and then we, we realize, hey, the princess is here, well, let's just, let's just save her, and she can tell us where to go from here. And it's very... It's so much fun to watch. It's, I mean, it's like, there's... You remember when A Phantom Menace, there's, like, so much going on? There's, like, one thing happens and a problem happens and another thing and they would go a different direction and then they go this way, they go underwater into this world and then they go and they see, oh, there's a bigger fish and then they go up into space and then they see Barney and then oh, like, there's so much stuff going on. And the same things happen in this, with this movie, but it's all done with the same goal and that's to get these plans somewhere safe so we can destroy the Empire. Uh, Phantom Menace didn't really have that necessarily or wasn't as structured, and it was kind of told through time rather than right away. You know, we got that in the opening crawl. Like, there's plans to destroy this base. We got to get them to safety. And that's what this is. And so from here, we get the ordeals, and we get the death, and we get the rebirth of our hero after the adventure on the Death Star. And it's the high point of Luke Skywalker's story. And this is where everything he holds dear to him is put on the line. Now, what more could he have that is dear to him? He just lost his family. Well, that comes to 
Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it also comes to Alderaan for Leia. So uh, another thing I noticed, too, is which I think is really powerful. Right after Alderaan blows up, Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of grasps his chest and has to sit down. And I just love that parallel. And just the introduction of the Force in this movie is so, so original. And it's, it's religious. I know it's a bad term, but it's, 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 uh, it's sin. It's very, uh, connected throughout the whole movie. And the force itself is a character in this movie. I've talked about that before on the podcast, but it really is. So Alderaan is destroyed and then Obi-Wan dies after his uh, account with Darth Vader. And so at this point there was a death so there must be a rebirth, and the rebirth is in Luke Skywalker as uh, becoming a Force user. So, or you could see it as the rebirth is of Obi Wan Kenobi as a Force ghost. But I would like to see it as Luke killing the person that everyone told him couldn't do anything to becoming the person that can put away any disbelief or doubt and use the Force. This other character to mold him into this new person, a Jedi. And that's that's how he's reborn. Now, with every story, you need a, a reward, a, a MacGuffin, um, something tangible that the, the hero can bring back with them on this journey, that they've... Uh, something they've discovered uh, that will benefit not just themselves, but everybody on their side. And in this case, it's the knowledge of the Death Star plans. You know, they already had had them in possession, but the goal was to get them to somewhere that could save, that could uh, help the rebellion fight against the Empire. So in this case, they finally brought it back to the the rebel base. And... They gave them the plans, and they were able to form a new plan to figure out how to destroy it, and they did. Now, on the road back home for him isn't necessarily going back to Tatooine, but it's them. It's Luke landing on this new territory, which is the Rebel Alliance, and forming a bond with them and a kinship with them, and they become his new family. And from there on, <clears throat> they will fight together till the end to destroy the Empire. Now, in a normal hero's journey, the hero would die or return in a new form. But in this story, it's, like I said, Luke embracing the metaphysical world and becoming this Jedi by using the Force to blow up the Death Star and return his influence in his old mentor, which was doubted at times. And it's uh, one of the most powerful moments of this movie for me when he's navigating through the trenches and then Obi-Wan's just like, use the force, let go, search your feelings. And then he just turns off the navigating uh, aim gun and then he (laughs) closes his eyes and just fires it anyway. And uh, Darth Vader's like, the Force is strong with this one. He's like flailing around in his ship or whatever. And then he blows up the Death Star and flies out of there real quick before he gets toasted, just like the rest of them. And, um, and then the hero's doubters are 
ostracized. And this is another important part of the hero's journey. Han Solo was his biggest doubter. And throughout the whole entire movie, he's the biggest pessimist. And he's just like, oh, I don't like the look of this. Oh, I should have like stayed on Mos Eisley. Oh, I shouldn't have listened to you. Oh, I gotta go and deal with Jabba. Oh my god, this princess is so annoying. Oh my god, I am walking with a giant carpet. And his enemies are... He's not his enemy necessarily, but he he was punished for it by by his disbeliefs. And then he comes back at the end. And he comes back and he helps fight on the Death Star trenches. And uh, eventually, ultimately gives him that room to be able to fire his laser and blow up the Death Star. And ultimately, the hero returns to where he started in this movie. But he's not the same as he was. So his his return to where he started in the movie is he went from feeling alone to actually being alone he he has no family before he 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 viewed his family as the people that were holding him back and stuck to his own and now they're actually gone he has to live with that and also obi-wan so that's that's his return and the fact that he's not the same is because now he's he's a jedi and he his the force is his ally and uh, another thing i realized with this movie is you know, this is supposed to be a one-and-done movie. That's what the studios said to him. And if he hadn't have had the resources, you know, to continue on or didn't think about making more, he would have killed Darth Vader in this movie. Think about that. He, I mean, he was. what if they didn't shoot him uh, being shot and blown up away out of space? And he's just like, I will return and I will find you. Um what if they had killed him? Then well, could you imagine what the Empire Strikes Back would have been like without Darth Vader? Uh, that's always like been like a what if worry for me in like the back of my head. Every time I see that scene, I'm just like, man, what if like they'd actually? What if they had killed him? Like, <laughs> it would have been a completely different franchise after then. But really, that's all I want to talk about with this movie, guys. It was. It's a fun watch every single time. It's my favorite of the Star Wars films, and I always look forward to watching it. And it's just, it's just a fun adventure story, and it always makes me happy. So, thank you again for listening. Uh, I really appreciate the support, and I hope you all continue to have a good day. If you watched along with me, and you're on A New Hope, then you know that... It's very exciting that we are only a few more weeks out from the rise of Skywalker, and I can't express my excitement enough. It is going to be unbelievable. So, get ready, because next week we're going to talk about The Empire Strikes Back, episode five. Some say to be the best of the movie of the Star Wars films, and some even say to be the best movie of all time. But we're going to break it down here on Han Talks first. So thanks again for listening. And please, somehow, some way, somewhere this week, may the Force be with you. Do it.